0: Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast, I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. We're here today live, well, I guess it's taped now, at 82 LA, uh, downtown LA, in the Arts District. I'm here with Mickey Fisher, welcoming back Mickey Fisher, who created the TV show,
1: Extant. So, thanks for coming back on, Mickey. Happy to be back. Here's what I I think there's been a lot happening since the last time we talked, right? I think we talked more like toward the end of the first season, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It's been a a wild ride ever since. Yeah, because right after the first season, I know you
0: switched showrunners and the direction of the show and everything. Um, So maybe you can talk a little bit about... There's so much to talk about. So, uh, and I know we delved a little bit in the last podcast on the experience, your your really super inspirational story of of getting a a show made, which it's it's interesting because we get a lot of emails from writers who are like... Where do I go to sell my show? Or how do I sell my show? And thinking, or even people say, is it good to write, you know, how many episodes should I write? I've written the first season, should I write a second? That's not the way it works. It's incredibly difficult to one, sell a show. Yeah. Get the pilot made, even if you sold it, get that pilot picked up into a series, get that series, you know, picked up in terms of you know like you not getting canceled after three episodes because your right. ratings suck and then getting a second season on top of i mean it's just it's like getting struck by lightning three times
1: yeah absolutely well you know, it's funny because you when you mentioned about writing multiple episodes of uh, you know, a show before you before you go out and sell it and i've i mean i've heard that too and i see because i go to a lot of forums and stuff still and i read things and 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 i see a lot of people talk about it like you know what just, i'm just going to write the whole 10 episodes and then go out and and, uh, and and I, and there was a, a time when I kind of had that same mentality about it. even when even when I wrote the pilot of of Extant I, I wrote a, a, a episode two for myself that really like nobody ever saw I didn't even really I kind of we mined some of the ideas from it you know in the season there were some things that were like him going uh, Ethan going to school and stuff like that that, that were in the second episode of, of of my kind of secret fanfic pilot for my own <laughs> show, for the second second episode fanfic of my own show but I knew kind of going into it that. Um, you know, with a showrunner, like they, they would need ownership of the show too, and it would develop and change. And so, I never really showed it to anybody, but we did talk about some of the ideas that I had thought of because it was part of the broader like hits for the season. But, um, but it's interesting that going through it now, I realize how crazy of a of, of, of that, that is to try to pull that off because there's so many things that can happen to you in the course of the, you know development, or you know, you can write ten, you you can spend a year writing, you know, five or six episodes. And the network has this one problem with your pilot that changes everything right. going forward, or there's one character that doesn't quite work. You know, two episodes into shooting, and now you gotta like, so, so yeah. I mean, I, there's so many variables and things that can change along the way. But now I see, you know, it's 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 tough to even do it on the on the production train when you're three or four scripts ahead. Things are always changing and pieces are always moving and, and that sort of. But that that being said, that was just interesting. I was thinking about that while you're while you were. Talking about that in the intro, but um, but yeah, you know, I got really really lucky. We got our first season, and um, and you know, we had a we had a lot of people watching, but but not you know, there was no slam dunk, so we kind of held our breath, we waited, we got a second season. We went through some big changes. We you know we we changed showrunners. Our, our previous showrunner, Greg Walker, who was a, a great friend of mine, who'd been a great leader of the first season, um, you know, we wanted to go off and do some other things. He Wanted to go off and do his own you know his own stuff and. and and uh, he had some, um, you know, ideas and other projects, and and so he brought on uh, two new people, uh, Liz Kruger and Craig Shapiro, and and they came in with a new energy and their own voice, and and the show kind of became. Uh, you know, a hybrid of, again, you know, a hybrid of their voice and mine, and it, and it became a little pulpier and a little more kind of like, sort of fun and fast-moving, and we had this great new character with Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and so a lot of what we did in the second season, you know, we kind of got to improve on, We, you know, we did the postmortem after season one and said, what do we feel like we can really do better? Next time, and uh, and then when these guys came in, that's you know we we all worked together. We came up with a, with a story that that I was really proud of, and, and and this this new character who added another you know new life to the show, and we got to do some more really interesting things with Ethan. We got to add another character, uh, Lucy, uh, who who we kind of introd a little bit in season one. But we brought her on uh, uh, Kiersey Clemens to play her as a as a grown up android uh, humanic. And uh, so yeah, it was awesome. I was really proud of it. And then you know we kind of waited and waited and waited. And then unfortunately, you know, about a month ago, we got the word right. no season three. Uh, but I, you know, I, I had that. I got the call that morning. My girlfriend and I, we were driving back cross country from. Uh, I would picked her up in St. Louis. We were driving cross country. I got the call that morning in Denver. And uh, and even when I hung up, I was disappointed and certainly disappointed for like my friends, people that would be you know that, that weren't going to have like a job. But but I was mostly just like you know what it happened exactly like you said it was like it was, i got struck by lightning multiple right. times i was so lucky that it happened and now i'm and, and and now i'm back where i got to you know write my way you know right my way back in the game again which is like i it's, i'm happy to be there you know
0: right right um, but you know and i but i mentioned though and that, that it's so great when something good happens to genuinely good people so thank you you know getting struck by lightning three times couldn't happen to a nicer guy so that's awesome um but it is funny though it, you're probably the only show tv actual tv show creator that i've heard of actually writing your own fan fiction granted it was before the show but still fan oh yeah for your own show that's hysterical to me
1: no i'm still doing it you know like there, were uh there were so many people that uh when the show got canceled they were like oh what am i gonna do on my wednesday nights and you know there's a part of me that was like hey look you know every week i'll do a thousand words. Well, you know, we'll we'll catch up when the characters together. And you know, it's a crazy thing to keep up if you're trying to write new stuff. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'll probably end up doing my own, uh, you know, like shipping fanfiction of other characters as have, I go along. Have
0: you ever explored doing? Because I know some shows nowadays they'll um, like everything from Jericho to Buffy. They go
1: into comic books. I, I would love, love, love to do that. In fact, I tried pitching that. Yeah. In between the two seasons. Because I knew we were going to take this big time jump forward between season one and season two, right. and I was I was pitching CBS and pitching the producers to say, "This, you know, we let's let's try to appeal to this core audience, you know, people that yeah. are like, you know, genre fans who get into this kind of stuff." I'm one of those fans who loves the the, the expanded universe stuff. Let me write a graphic novel okay. to, to catch us up on the what happened in between, and uh, I could never really get like traction on it. You know, like, uh, it was like there was never enough sort of like. There was never enough sort of enthusiasm behind it, uh, and I didn't really have the time or the like the energy to go off and do it by myself. And sit here, like, oh, and also because again, it was like I, there are all these other creative collaborators involved sure. that I couldn't run off and do it by myself and bring it back. You know, right. <laughs> it was like so. Um, so unfortunately, it didn't happen. But maybe it could in the future. I mean, I would love. I would. I I love that as a medium, and I think it's such a great. Our this particular story could work so well. Oh, yeah. And,
0: yeah and I know stuff like uh, Jericho was. I think it was years after the show was canceled. yeah, you know, a few years after. So it wasn't like an immediate thing.
1: Well, I mean, there's still, I mean, there's a there's a run of Twilight Zone that just came out that I love, and X-Files did a run, a, you know, a season mm-hmm. in comic books, too. I mean, most of the stuff, in fact, most of the comic books that I buy are based in shows or movies that I was a fan of, and I just get into them because I like digging deeper into the stories and the characters. Right, of a show that you were a fan of, right. So, right. yeah, so even something like Twilight Zone that hasn't been on the air for, you know, his last incarnation was, what, you know, 10, 12 years ago or whatever. Right. They're, they're doing it, too. Right. So you did a post-mortem after the first
0: season of Extant um, to kind of figure out where you wanted to go and, and what what you really loved about the show, what you felt, you know, you could change and, you know, everything So now let's do a post-mortem of the whole show. Yeah. Just as, as, in terms of as a writer though, um, what are the things that, like, you come away from the show um, having changed as a writer having learned as a writer what did you walk away from the show how you know what was yeah, that absolutely
1: like? i mean i'll tell you a couple things well one like i had so many people ask me like what's the biggest thing that you learned and, and i and I, I may have even said this the first time around it's that, that the biggest thing i've learned is that like it's a miracle anything is ever great but it takes so much for so many things to line up you know all the stars to align the right way you get the you know you you knock it out of the park in your scripts you get the perfect cast they have great chemistry you bring on directors who really understand it and get it and it, and and everything just clicks and i mean there's so few shows that reach the, the 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 absolute pinnacle of that you know like things like the sopranos or like breaking bad or even better call saul it's like there's just some alchemy there that that makes it all work you know and so, um, so it's a miracle anything's ever great, and and, and and to a certain extent that anything's like even really good, <laughs> right? <laughs> because so much can happen, right? And you know, even and and I and I'll put that on my own shoulders first, which is that when you're trying to tell a story over 13 hours, it's really easy to get lost in the woods, and it's easy to it's easy to get get hung up on things that you're interested in that maybe aren't going to be as interesting for the audience, or that too. Like you know, I would say in season one. I was really, uh, um, yeah, I was really uh, excited about the big mystery and the big themes and stuff like that too. And what we realized at the end of season one is that we had we had to a certain extent neglected some of the relationships, and that there was a need for it to be a little, you know, for lack of a better word, soapier. Mm-hmm. You know, like Game of Thrones is like a, a soap opera in a right. sense. You know, like Battlestar Galactica was kind of a soap opera. Right. And so our show, our show in the first season, didn't quite have that. And so we really like. You know, there was a lot of that in the uh, in the second season. Can I swear on this? Yeah, sure. <laughs> what, what, what I started to jokingly refer to as like fucking and fighting, right? Because there was like there was a lot of that missing from season one. There's a lot of it in season two. There's a lot of fucking and fighting, <laughs> and that's the stuff that people like. I don't know. It's just it's the stuff that people keep coming back to. Uh, you know, as, as as interested as I get in the characters and and the big themes and exploring all that stuff. You know, there needs to be that that emotional thread that's pulling people back week after week, and, and not that I didn't know that. I mean, it's like common sense to you know to know that, but but you get preoccupied with searching for other things and the stuff that you're interested in as a storyteller, and um, and so that was a big takeaway for me from season two, and and it's affected everything that I've done and pitched going forward. Things I'm writing right now to go and pitch is really taking a look at that and go, what, what am I laying the groundwork for the emotional stories here? But the interpersonal relationships and things like that between characters. And then when I look back you know of course all the stuff that I love you know, even the X-Files. You know I was never like a big person who was into the will they or won't they uh, romantic relationship with Mulder and Scully but their personal relationship and how they grew and what each person represented. You know I was totally invested in that. That's why I tuned into the show. So um, so yeah I'm trying to be conscious of those kind of things. Um, in terms of other stuff it's like uh You know, I I I can always look at when I get in trouble as a writer personally. I can't even speak to the writers' room or like the showrunners or anybody else. But me personally, even the stuff I'm doing now, when I get away from the core, like basic dramatic principles of who is this person, what do they want, what happens if they don't get it, you know, why, you know, why, what what happens if they don't get it now? Like when I move away from that stuff, that's when I get into trouble. And the closer that I, more I simplify and boil it down to those essential things, it drives every scene one on top of the other and and uh and, I'm, and i and i stay out of the woods that way so it's like i think both season one and season two were a constant kind of reminder of like the times that things sort of sailed through or that everybody was happy with the script was when i held to that you know like a man in a hurricane you know like <laughs> and when i got into trouble it was when i started thinking about well we need to explain this or we need information here or we need or like you know we need this for the mystery here it's like that all is you know extra stuff right so there there's a quote i think it, I, I i'm going to miss i'm going to attribute it to the wrong person but i think it was albert einstein who said you know like anybody any fool can make something more complicated right. but it takes like real genius to make something more simple and so uh, to you know it's simpler and and, and clearer and so that that it, like that's a, like a lifelong journey to keep to that so that's a lot of the stuff i learned from season one and season two no that's great and to springboard off that um in terms
0: of your first point of it takes a lot of things have to go right in order for a show to be great um just to springboard off that not only i always use sports references yeah absolutely um but like you could have the greatest football team and think you're bound for the Super Bowl, but with injuries and you know uh, uh, trades and uh, the ball fumbled one direction as opposed to rolling another direction, a, a penal- critical penalty at a critical time or whatever could alter the season. Absolutely, you know, at, at any moment in time. And you know, so you were talking about you know the cast and the writers and the filmmakers, but it's also the marketing department. You know, everything has to go right, not to make a show necessarily great, but If a show doesn't get good ratings, it doesn't come back. So you never get to see that whole experience. So how many shows, based on you know poor marketing or even being ahead of their time, so to speak, don't get the opportunity to continue and become this iconic show and literally just kind of fade away, not getting to tell all the stories that would have been amazing.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think about I think about Breaking Bad because I was a person who. I didn't watch the first season of Breaking Bad. Maybe even I, I don't even know if I jumped in until season three. Right. Because the marketing for it was like, you know, the dad from Malcolm in the Middle. Right. <laughs> he was standing in his like tidy whiteys right. with a gun. And there was something about it. I was like, I don't know if I need to see you know, like to see this. And and and, and I didn't jump in until until you know season three. And by then I was like, what, what? I was the biggest idiot for not giving this a shot, but I think that was also one of those shows that had the time to really hit its stride and find right. its like, and, and to really click. And and and, you know, I think the people on you know like cable or basic cable, and maybe now to the to like Netflix and Hulu and those kind of things, you maybe get more of an opportunity to to to, to, to find your stride and to really figure things out on the fly. Whereas like you know on the big broadcast, you like. You you may not you know you're lucky to get a whole season right if you're if you stumble out of the gate right so and again I think you know if we'd been on the fall we might have been axed two episodes three episodes in you never right. know right because we were on the summer maybe we got a little extra time to figure it out right because I know like on NBC
0: uh, Blind Spot did yeah. incredibly well picked Absolutely. up the, you know the, a second season already I think yeah um, but yet the player which was at Wesley Snipes right, right. vehicle. Uh, I guess they were, were got cut back, 13, right? Got yeah. cut back, yeah. And they just basically were in the middle of, you know, they're finishing up their 10th episode and they said, you know what, those last three, we're not going to shoot them at all. Oh, man. I was watching, off.
1: there's a great documentary, you know, showrunners. I don't know if you've seen this yeah, documentary or not. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Not, but, but uh, you know, there's a, they're, they're following a showrunner in that where, like, they pulled the plug, like, right in the middle of, like, the shooting day. You know, right. and you got to, like, as, a, as the executive producer, you gotta walk on the set and tell everybody, like, yeah. so, you know, sorry, we're all going home. And right. that's like, that is, that is heartbreaking and terrifying, you know, <laughs> all at the same time. It's like, you know, that that, that, that is, a, is a possibility out there, you know? Right. Um,
0: and then I wanted to also mention, uh, because we get this a lot, we get a lot of emails. Again, I, I mentioned it before, people asking, how do I sell my script? Or you know, some of the worst ones. Maybe I shouldn't say worse, but some of the ones that seem the least sort of knowledgeable. Rooted in reality. Right, Right, exactly. or <laughs> rooted in reality. That's probably a better example. Um, saying, I have this great idea. I need a writer to write. Sure. But you know what? But what you were talking about, I think, illustrates very well. In that the idea is all good and well, but it's the execution that makes you know a, a story great
1: absolutely I mean that's 99% of the right. work I mean ideas you can look at it you know you can look at the LA Times today and come up with 10 great ideas sure for for movies and 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 I I mean not say the ideas are the easiest thing they're not because like a really great idea something that is instantly like not even original but but fresh again for its time or like that is and also marketable some that other people are going to get excited about it. it's that, that's a tough thing to like to, to come up with but right. then the the real work of it is the hundreds of hours and thousands of hours of sitting down and figuring it out and putting it down and, and that's something that happens to writers a lot and it's happened to me which is uh the people you know people say hey man i've got this great idea for a script you write it right. i'll give you the idea you write it and we'll split it 50 <laughs> yeah, so 50 like, like... like... well, well that's like that's all the work you know right and in fact, there's only one time in my life where somebody said, "Hey, I've got this great idea for a script," and I heard it, and I said, "I want to help you write that. Right. I, I want to be involved in this," and it, because it's so much work, and I have a backlog of so many right. stories of my Absolutely. own. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not going to live nearly long enough to write the scripts that I right. already have. You know, that are your own ideas. And that are my own ideas. Right. You know, and things that I'm like. So, um, so, so, yeah. That's a tough thing. But, but the, but that's a great thing I think about screenwriting, which is that. And I think that separates people who kind of like on a lark, or, or people who see it as like a lottery ticket, right. as opposed to people like, this is the career that I want, this mm-hmm. is the life that I want to have. Which is that if that's what you really want, you'll sit down and you'll learn to do it. And and there's a format, you yeah. know, and there, there, are, there are certain basic rules and things that you can learn early on to get you going. And then, you know, it took me 20 years to write something that people were compelled to to. Call me into a room, and, and you know, or somebody else was compelled to buy. Um, you know, I had twenty years and thousands and thousands of horrible, horrible pages of writing before I got to that point. But I wanted it more than I've ever wanted anything. Right. And so I just kept at, I kept at, and so, so I think that's the thing for anybody that's like writing in with those questions, like they're going to be, you know, you're going to be in the mix. I'm sure of people who. And we're just looking at it as a lottery ticket, like I get this great idea, and if only somebody would write it and make it a movie, I'm sure I could be a millionaire. Right? You know. And then there are other people who are like, I, I'm, they're just at the very beginning, and 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 they want it so bad, and and if they want it that badly, they'll figure it out. Right. You know. They'll they'll start with McKee, they'll start with Sid Field, they'll start, and then they'll they'll keep on going. So so and good luck to those people, you know, for doing it too, because it, it happens. You know? Yeah. No.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: um, no and it does happen and I think but we encourage those that yeah uh, absolutely to pursue it but to, to do it in a smart way
1: to, to look at it like a career not absolutely. as a lottery ticket well I mean that's the thing it's like there's no substitute for sitting down and doing the work right I mean that's at the end of the day that is the that's why I, I mean I was watching on you know people uh, give Max Landis a hard time because mm, he's right. you know like on Twitter and things like that because his dad's a, famous filmmaker and they think, well you know, he's a guy who sat down and did the work. He right. wrote dozens and dozens of scripts. They got better and better. He got better and better and eventually somebody made one. It was a really great movie and now he's and now he's working. And so I I think that that's like that's the equalizer. It's like time in the chair, right, reading scripts, writing, watching great movies and, and right. just keeping at it, keeping at it, keeping at it is can can get you over the line right i mean he may have had you know more opportunities than
0: the average individual Sure, there might have been and a door open when
1: somebody to read it but yeah right,
0: and he may have grown up around that sort of yeah. environment but still you have to deliver when push comes to shove totally you know uh, nepotism and you know stuff is not going to get you blockbuster movies and academy awards right, totally. know, well, i tell mean, you look
1: and, and even if he grew up on movie sets to like where it was like real intangible to him you know i'm i grew up in a movie theater you know, I grew up watching ET and Star Wars over right. and over and over again, and, and like, uh, and and so we all have the, we all have in a sense, the tools to, uh, the sort of inherent nature of storytelling right. in our DNA. Kind of, you know, like we, we're born, we live, we die. You know, we've got a <laughs> beginning, middle, and end to our lives, and so, uh, you know, there's there's winter, spring, uh, summer, and fall. It's, it's, so it's sort of all around us in nature and in our lives, and so we all kind of know it intuitively. It's just, like are you willing to sit down and and do it over and over and over again until you get better? You know? Right,
0: and that's the thing. It's not just even just sitting down there writing a script yeah. and thinking you're going to sell it, but the process of learning
1: to be a good writer. Well, I'll tell you this. I you know I wrote my I wrote so many scripts early on, and every one of them I thought, okay, this one's ready. You Me know, too. if Absolutely. I just had an agent, if I could just get yep. it through the door, somebody and I sent out query letters, and I sent out, and it, and, and nothing happened, you know, or I would enter contests, you know, get a little further than mm-hmm. the last time, but, and every time I thought, man, like, this is gold, why right. doesn't anybody see it? And now I look back, I go, I always know yeah. we're near ready. Right, <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> you
0: know? right, right,
1: right, I write, I wrote stuff today that is not near ready, you know, it's like, it so. Yeah, it just I think it, that's it. It's like you got to be willing to like push past it and work long enough till you get to the you know to what's great. Right. I'm obsessed with uh, the musical Hamilton right now.
0: I don't know what that is.
1: It's well, it's this new musical on Broadway. It's about Alexander Hamilton, and it's by this guy Lin Manuel Miranda, and uh, it's like it's it's all told in uh, rap and hip hop. Wow. So it's the story of Alexander, all the founding fathers. They're all played by African American, Hispanic actors, uh, and it's it's fascinating. But I saw an interview with him, and he said that as he was writing it the opening number it took him like a year to write it because every couplet had to be the best two lines that he'd ever written in his life you know like that was like the level that he was aiming for and I think that that's and that was inspiring to me to go man I feel today I thought about that when I was sitting and writing I was like this this scene has gotta be better than any scene I've ever written. You right. know, and if I can pull that off today then I've done God's work, I can go, you know, to bar <laughs> eighty two and play some Donkey Kong. You right, know? right, 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 <laughs> and, and I think
0: that, you know, Woodfield's saying if you uh, shoot for the star aim for the stars and even if you don't make it you'll land on the
1: moon. Absolutely like that. Absolutely you know, everything you do is not
0: gonna be perfection, but if you don't at least aim for aim high, so to speak, then you know who was I talking to? I was talking to was a manager i can't remember who it was specifically so i'm not going to attribute i'll attribute it to einstein too (laughs) yeah einstein said that he doesn't want to work with writers who who like to write who can write good enough it's like you know i've written something it's good enough it's good enough let's just sell it it's good enough they want writers who this needs to be great yeah needs to be absolutely freaking fantastic those are the writers because you know they're going to consistently work. It's not they're not lazy writers. They're going to continue to get better. Each script is going to get better. They're going to butt their ass. And you know as well as I do that when is something finished? When is a script finished? Yeah. Well, when you start shooting it, basically. You're going right, to keep writing exactly. until that point. Exactly. You know, you, I mean, like even uh, in the editing room, you know. Yeah, you, you're writing. You, twe- you continue to tweak, and I'm sure that there are things you've written that may, have, you know, I know you did some independent films and stuff like that, that you look back. I wish I would change this. I would change this. That's, Absolutely. Those are the people I think that really grow and get better because they're constantly striving to be the best.
1: I mean, I, I, it's it's a constant battle for me right now because it's there's a like I have this sort of like impulse, you know, I write something and I want to share it right away, mm-hmm. you know, I want people to read it, and especially now that I've got people who will read it and who can maybe do something with it. Right. There's even more of a sense of like, well, oh, I just want to get it out there, but so I have to kind of fight myself and go, is this is this ready yet? Like, and, and you know, and I've. I've seen my. I've seen what happens when I send something out before it's ready. Even now, right. it needs that extra like incubation time to make it to make it not good but great. Right. And, and uh, that gets all the difference in the world. Yeah, you know, it's like it's the difference between like rounds and rounds of notes. And, right. And and not you know it's like because like you can you can you can kill something in its infancy by sending it out too early because right. you didn't execute the idea in the best possible way. Right because you're playing in the major leagues right now. I mean,
0: your scripts are going out and landing on the, you know, the desks of top exact producers and you're in, in the same competition, you know, this right. you know with JJ Abrams <laughs> right, of the exactly. world. You well, know, your God. script and his are going to sit on the same table at some point, you know, what <laughs> right, I mean? Right exactly. Well, maybe JJ just does his own, so you just you <laughs> right. see JJ just greenlight <laughs> it. But you know what I mean?
1: Totally, absolutely. And yes. so
0: yeah, you have to be the best because they are going to
1: uh, you know, when I wrote um, the pilot for Extant, I was I was watching a ton of Doctor Who, mm. and uh, and it was I was binging a lot of it. And the showrunner Stephen Moffat—he's one of my favorite writers, still one of my favorite writers. And at the time, and also I was watching Sherlock. Okay. And great. so both both shows were so well written, and I and I I put a, a post-it note on the corner of my monitor. It said "WWSMd." What would Stephen Moffat do? And that, and I might have even said this in the last podcast. I've told this story a couple times, but but I. That was like my, I kind of looked at that and said, what, that's like my bar. I want to try to get to that. If I gotta, I, I want to be as good as that guy. Right. And so I was always aiming like every scene, if I get stuck, I go, what would Stephen Moffat do? And go, right. and every time it was just like, he would write it better. You know, like he would, he would keep going, keep going until this was better and better. And right. So I, that's what I did.
0: Yeah, and you know, even if you don't achieve that when you're working on a specific thing at that time, just the fact that you're aiming for that, you will get you know, you'll get there. Yeah, like you know, I think it's like working out, you know. Yeah. Too,
1: it's like oh, that time is 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 means something. It has a, it has an impact. Whether it's like you know the time you spent working that problem out, I always find this too. Maybe you find it. It's like I can I can bang my head against a nail all day long on a script or a problem in a scene and walk away from it the next morning. Wake up and go, oh, I got it. Right, absolutely. And that wouldn't have happened had I not put in the the day before of like going down all these different avenues and writing three pages that really sucked and it's like you know like I wake up the next day and it's not it's not magic it's that I I've been working on the knot all day before right and you know my. but, but the, also the fact that you're not allowing that knot to
0: just you know what it's yeah. fine it's good enough. right you know it's not good
1: enough no no it's like you the know. you know the pee under the mattress I'm using mean, all these metaphors but you know it's <laughs> the pee under the mattress you know when it's like not yeah well, it's not right, and if you know you're never gonna get if you're if you care enough about it, you're never gonna get a good night's sleep until you right. figure it out.
0: Um, and now that, um, well, actually, before I move on to what's going on now, I wanted to talk about extant specifically. Um, did, was that your focus on TV? Because I know some people focus on features, some people focus on TV. Uh, you know, oftentimes people will try both, but what was your focus before, you
1: know, when you were still in that sort of aspiring stage? It was all, it was all features. Okay. You know, I pretty much had done, well I, mean, not, I can't say all features, I had done a lot of theater too. Mm-hmm. But I was making, you know, micro-budget features, I was writing mostly scripts. Uh, the stuff I was entering, like the Nickel Fellowship and things like that, I entered Project Greenlight 2, they were all feature contests. And. But that was like during the time that TV was really rising, of this new, you know, like, new golden age kind of thing. And I came to that that moment, like everybody else, where I realized I was watching more TV than I was going to the movies. Uh, you know, like I was starting to binge things, you know, watching, <laughs> watching a week of Lost <laughs> or a week of Alias. You know, like uh, and not going to the movies. And so and so, uh, but I also came to the realization that there would be a lot more jobs in television. The idea of selling this, the big spec, or the feature spec, seemed less likely than getting one of the the many jobs, and you know, as a staff writer or something right. like that, or getting in the door as a writer assistant. Um, and so I kind of knew, like, well, maybe that's my way in, because as much as I, I love television, I want it, and 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 I want to work in television, um, and maybe there's more opportunity there at the moment. So so yeah, so I really like when I, it wasn't until I moved out here in 2011 that I made that switch. And then the next step was realizing, like, oh, my, I love television. I don't know how to, know how to write television. So <laughs> it's different. Yeah. yeah so I've been absolutely. writing full-length plays. I've been writing features. Right. But telling a story and in, in uh, you know, an, oh, in the pilot, a pilot, have broken up into acts, and and there's showmanship involved. You know, you want your act breaks, and you're this, and so so I just had to spend time learning that. And what's kind of interesting now is. Is that I've had the opposite, which is in the month that uh, that since the show wasn't renewed, uh, and I've been finishing up these feature projects. I've had to kind of unlearn some TV things and relearn the feature stuff, which is that okay. I got to tell this over 100 pages now not 50 right you know and so I've had to kind of de- go back and develop those muscles again I and, hadn't written the feature in two years and
0: you have to tell it in 100 pages not what is 13 hours of pages <laughs> right, exactly,
1: you know I mean? exactly. Yeah. yeah there's no coming, coming back for episode 2 right although what's interesting now I think in the feature world is that so many um, are, you know people are looking for things or you know franchises that That's are almost like you know, multi-million, be you a know, big budget, one hundred fifty million dollar right. television series. That are going to play out over three or four episodes. You know, if you look at all, you know, like the Marvel universe and things like that, or like Star Wars, like they're almost like television shows. They just cost two hundred million dollars, <laughs> right? Each, each right. episode, and come out every four years. You know, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, now, so you've, you're sort of switching your mind. When you were on X would you were you working on feature stuff or TV other TV stuff?
1: I would just to, just for my own sanity's yeah. sake, I would write every weekend. So during so we were working Monday through Friday on the show. And typically I would always have some kind of like homework, either reading or writing right. or noting or whatever on the weekends, but I always carved out three or four hours on Saturday and Sunday to write new stuff, to work on feature stuff, to work on Um, And there were a couple weekends where I worked on scratching down new TV ideas and things too, because I always knew. Well, one, I always knew that like this, this could be over at any moment. (laughs) Like you know, we could not get another. I don't want to like start from scratch. And so, but the other thing was that like being in a writer's room means that you're and and having showrunners, you know, my position means that you're always creating with you know eight other, ten other people. You're creating a story with them, and there's a lot of collaboration involved, and there's a lot of like. Your, you know, it may have started with my vision, but now it's opened up. It's it, it's everybody's sandbox at this point. Mm-hmm. So um, so writing my own stuff on the weekend, new stuff, was a way of just having it be mine again too, gotcha. and like getting back to like stuff. In the industry. And it and it and it was really fun in and, a and way, and so, uh, not that the show wasn't fun, but this, but it was, there was like a freedom to it, right. it wasn't going to get turned in and noted by anybody, right. you know, it right, wasn't right, going right. to like, there was nobody who was who was going to buck up against an idea, and, and you know, we were going to spend the day pulling it apart, it was like, it was just fun, and so, I managed to like keep things kind of moving down the field, to use, you know, to use a sports analogy too, mm-hmm. on the weekends, and you know, at night, whenever I had time, I would just write and write and write, and um, write. So that when the show was when the show was canceled, I was able to kind of pick right up and jump right in and and, and go go kind of crazy on that stuff. So um, so yeah, so I'm hoping and I you know I'm hoping to have the experience now because I had this wonderful amazing experience in television, mm-hmm. but I really would I mean I I would love to 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 write for a studio to, and to to do a big studio movie to have that experience. I mean even like. You know, last night I was driving home, I took my girlfriend to LAX, I took the long way home, and uh, and I drove by Warner Brothers specifically, and, you know, like a couple of the other studios just to look at the, you know, look at the water towers and go, okay, that, I got to like, yeah. I, it's like visualizing, I got to get to that next, you know, right, and I want right. to do that, so.
0: Because you're a filmmaker, too. Uh, so, is that something you're looking to pursue? Like, write and direct something? Or are you just taking one step at a time?
1: Yeah, one you know, for them, one for me. Directing, right, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Which my favorite of that is, like, Michael Bay, you know, like his, like, Transformers and then, what <laughs> was, you know, Pain and Gain or whatever that was right. called? Like, um, uh, <laughs> his one for him and one for the studio. Um, my, you know, I, I was never a really good director. I, I was kind of like, I'm directing was kind of a means to an end, which is as a writer, because I started as an actor, and I started writing stuff for me to do as an actor, and then I really started liking the writing, and I kind of started directing just so I could get my stuff made, and so I was never, I like, I always loved working with the actors, and even going through the season on the show, watching the directors, that's my favorite part of it, so it reminds me of being in a rehearsal room, which is like, you know, for a theater, for a show in theater, which is where I started. Right. Uh, I went to school for musical theater, I don't know if you remember if we talked about this, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, so you know, doing summer stock and stuff like that was my favorite time. Was being in the rehearsal room. By the time the show opened, I was already kind of bored with the show. Right. So, um, so, um, so I love working with the actors. I love being in that environment. But the the technical side of it and moving the camera—it's always amazing to me. Like I would watch some of these directors come in and just intuitively know. Like they speak a they speak a language that I that is still foreign to me. You know, like I mean, I think that uh, Steven Spielberg—he's the guy. He's like the greatest example of this, I think, right now. Which is, he just speaks the language of cinema. Every right. movement of the camera, every every bit of blocking, everything is a means to an end, and 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 to tell the story. And I don't have that intuitively. You know, like I um, and so. So there's a part of me that also thinks like, man, I'll never, I'll never <laughs> have that. And uh, so if, I, you know, if you can't, but it's a little like saying like, well, I can never read Michael Jordan, so why pick up a basketball? Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so so really, I'm so focused on the writing part of it right now and the opportunities, and I love it so much. Like it's still my favorite thing as when I'm you know I can sit down by myself with the laptop and or, or a pad and pen and right. and create something from scratch, create something out of thin air onto a you know on a blank page and. And then hand it to somebody you know who who knows what they're doing with it. We had um, this guy Miguel Sapochnik who directed the uh, finale of uh, season one, and he also directed um, he directed a really great episode of Game of Thrones this season, the hard home episode. Um, and and watching him work, he's another one of those guys that he would just sort of like kind of know, like I got this piece here, and I'll get this piece there, and we'll flip around, and I'll get this, and he could see it all in his head. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, I just feel like that's like I'll never. I'll never ever have that. <laughs> right. It's like learning the code, it. you know. I, I mean, you it. feel the same. Absolutely. Have you thought yeah. about it? Do you direct? Well, I mean, I
0: went to film school at USC. Oh right. And so I, you know, I've done short films and things like that. And it's, it's, I 100% agree with you. I love the part working with actors because you love the storytelling and you yeah. love seeing the characters come to life. But you know, in terms of like camera placement and blocking and you know angles, shot selection, you know, all these kinds of things, it's just like I don't have that in me to. I'm not as interested in that portion, right. the technical portion, you know so because of that it doesn't come naturally, but yet some of the greatest I think screenwriters have some amazing moves like Steven Zalian, you know, brilliant sure. writer in then doing Searching for Bobby Fischer or Frank Darabont, you know, Absolutely. I think they can they can do both, I just think that they are two different skill sets and sometimes uh, very rarely are they both in the same person, but Absolutely. you know, they can translate some
1: well, yeah, those guys it's like you, you know Tarantino and those kind of guys. Oh, yeah, no, sort of like it's right. all
0: connected to one,
1: right. To one sort of thing, and I think you are know, like have you uh, read
0: a, a Tarantino script though? Yeah, they're sort of out of control. Oh yeah, I mean he's a mad genius, <laughs> but you know if, if you were just to take him on face value as a writer, as a screenwriter, he'd be like, this is insane, this is amazing, but it's insane. how we would to shoot this, but yet he's. You know, like I said, it's for him. Well, I think
1: because for him, it's like you know, he's right. Like he, he thinks of the script as literature, absolutely. In a sense, you know, like it's got, it doesn't read like a, you know, a lot of people write as. I kind of write like this too. It's a, it's a blueprint for absolutely. You know, for a movie, technically supposed to be right, exactly. But his is like, yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. That's what I mean. That's what I love about him because, for all of the people who tell you know guys like us that you know or uh, you know screenwriters and TV writers and you know here are the rules and you got to follow these and we don't hit this by page this and. You know, if you don't have your inciting incident here, right. incident two, like that guy's stuff, is just is like watching somebody who's totally free. You know, who's operating yep. totally from instinct and intuition and, and and free of all those rules. And God bless him because like, that's inspiring to me to watch that and go, look, it doesn't all have to be that way. Right. You know. And so when I if I want to like push the edge a little bit myself, like I, I can. I'm not him. Right. But he's inspiring me to do it in my own way.
0: Right. You know? no, absolutely. You know, and, and I think people like him or the Cohen brother, you know, people who break all these rules, I think it's their rules are there for a reason, absolutely. Um, and so when the average, writer or filmmaker breaks rules, oftentimes they don't know what they're doing and it turns out really, really poorly. Right. But, when you're so good at what you do and so knowledgeable about cinema, and not even the sense that like him reading a bunch of screenwriting books or going to film school, because he didn't. Right. Um, but just understanding cinema, watching thousands and thousands of movies and understanding storytelling and what works. Right. Having um, in his DNA. Absolutely. I think they're breaking... They don't necessarily know the rules per se, but they know what works and what doesn't work. Absolutely. And, and then they... Or just you know can go out and do what they do, which is just—that's
1: why I am mean, not kind of like I I go see both of those you know Coen Brothers, Tarantino, those guys I see them opening weekend for those sort of reasons right. alone. Like I always go see the first, you know even something like like Death Proof was inspiring to me because. It was like it was a story that was told in a structure in a way I'd never seen before right you know and it, and it just like even if it just goes makes you go back and look at your own thing just slightly differently and you know and make you a little more courageous in it you know they're always gonna be there's always they're always gonna be people who say you', you know, like you, that's not the standard it's not right. the norm you're gonna do like this and, and and you know that never goes away even right. once even once you're in <laughs> like <even laughs> once you're through the gate. it still happens you know right. um, but uh but you know, you can go look at guys like that and go, you know what, you can get there. Right, absolutely. <laughs> That's absolutely. what he did, you may, have, you may not, you know, you may have to be a genius to do it, but you can get there.
0: <laughs> and I think that, you know, in terms of like breaking rules, in terms of, I don't even think they look at it that way. No, they exactly. They tell their story, they're not, and it's not even, I mean, I don't know for a fact that that people tell them no at this point, but I mean, right. they just
1: seem so fearless. Absolutely. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Right, it's not like the, uh, what's the movie, the, uh, is it The Five Instructions? Have you seen that? I haven't. No. who's the guy, uh, the, is it Lars von Trier, maybe, oh, okay. uh, who made The you know, Antichrist Too? But there was like, he had a friend of his who made a film, and he challenged him to make it in five different ways. He gave him sort of different rules. Or right. Another. And it was like artificially imposing a set of, you know, I, I'm going to do it this way now, or this right. way, and what these, with these limitations, or these. And uh, see, I, you're right. I, I don't think they think of it that way at all. It's just that is their response to the muse. Right. Um, it's a beautiful thing.
0: No, absolutely. Great. Um, now, uh, we were talking earlier before we started the podcast about uh, your latest project, Blacklist Reading.
1: Yeah, Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. That well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Now, yeah. that, that idea, uh, when I told you that there's been sort of one time I for somebody somebody come up and said like hey I have a great idea for a movie and right. I was like I have to help you write this let's do it and uh, it was a friend of mine uh, his name's Brian DePetris we met in New York uh, doing um, both of us playing Santa Claus uh, uh, in New York, at a major department store there. Oh, not, not in, in theater. Right, not not in theater. theater. In a, yeah, ah. for like a Santa uh, Santa Land this kind is of a place. Great story. I want to hear more. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's crazy. Um, and so he and I, um, we started writing. He's told me the basic idea of it. He'd been writing it as a play, and uh, for his theater company. And we just started meeting up, and we would meet up like you know Chipotle, Starbucks, wherever, and yeah. and just start writing, and kicking back and forth. And we wrote the spec. I moved out here. Uh, we all, we did a couple readings of it with people we'd work with at Santa Land, and and um, it was and it was really fun. We had a great time. It's very it's uh, it's like this um, alternative history origin of Santa Claus, and um, based it's like the, the the secret that the North Pole doesn't want you to know the secret origin of Christmas, and so. Um, I moved out here in early 2013 when I was still trying to break in and kind of like I didn't really know anybody in the industry, so I was taking every avenue that I could. Sure. And the blacklist website had just started to pop up, and uh, I put it up on the blacklist website. I got good reviews, you got you know got a you know eight rating or above, and got sent out to some people. And um, and then when the extent happened, I pulled everything down off the blacklist. I signed with an agent and a manager, and didn't right. things out there. But, um, but they started this Table Read podcast, and we got invited to be the Christmas episode for this Table Read podcast. So it's coming up, and I think it's going to be up sometime in December. Very it's cool. called The Winter King, and it's this big uh, big kind of family epic adventure. We always talk about it like Pixar meets Lord of the Rings, but about the origins <laughs> of Santa Claus. And uh, and it's got a great cast. It's got Haley Joel Osment. Um, Jason Ritter, uh, May Whitman. There's uh, all kinds of great Abraham Ben Ruby, Kristen Johnson. there's all kinds of great people in it, and uh, and we got to do the recording of it. And it was it was fantastic. And Brian even got to because he came in and somebody else somebody else couldn't make it. One of the actors, so Brian, who's an actor himself, got to slip in and read alongside all these other great great actors and got to read some of it. Um, so yeah, so that'll be up for download uh, on the blacklist table read, and uh, I'm I'm excited about that, and then some other. Then I'm really just like. Kind of excited to see what happens with it after that. It'll, yeah. be a, it'll be a fun thing to see the journey it takes after this.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially with holiday films, yeah. you feel like a lot of them are, are simply sort of holiday family comedies or something like that. And I know there's, like, someone coming out recently called Krampus or something like it's a horror film, mm-hmm. but you don't usually see them in sort of, like, a grand scale sort of fantasy Pixar world. Right. Or kind of, that's kind of a new take on it, so that's kind of cool.
1: It is, but you know what's funny is, like, there, since this, since we we wrote it, we've seen all these other things. Like, there was something that sold with the guys who made Kantiki, It's called A Winter's Night, with a K, K-N-I-G-H-E. Oh, gotcha, okay. It's like Santa Claus, based in, like, North mythology. I don't really know how how heavy or gritty that is, or, right. or, or you know, ours is really fun. It's got penguins and elves, and, you know, <laughs> talking polar bears, right, right. snowmen. You know, so it's a, it's ours is ours is sort of big family right. family fair kind of stuff. But um, but now it's it's there there are a few more of those things out there. I'm excited about Krampus because it's got its it does seem like a horror movie, but it's got Adam Scott and it's got you know, yeah, some yeah. really you know kind of a a really funny cast
0: well yeah I saw the cast and I saw it as you know I watched the trailer and I saw it seemed like it started off as like one of these family family, like Home Alone kind of thing and then it
1: took took a weird you know dark turn to it I kind of love that stuff that's sort of been genre like that you know like From Best Till Dawn or those those things You, you take that weird kind of genre turn it's like people we don't do it enough I think that's what makes them just kind of unique and special. Absolutely,
0: when they do that stuff. I mean, it makes it stand out. It's like, oh, remember that? Like you can still remember from Dust Till Dawn* because of
1: absolutely you know, it starts off one, of it weird, like, like you know, what the hell kind of thing in the middle where you okay now what right
0: exactly hey, vampires? What you know? It turns from this like this gritty sort of heist kind of thing, <laughs> right? Like, just,
1: you know, like horror,
0: you know? Absolutely,
1: yeah. Movie esque, Comedini yeah. and all the gore. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool. Um, what?
0: In terms of, of your career, when you got your first big extant check, what was the first thing you bought? I have to ask <laughs> that.
1: Well, i tell you this. I bought a car. Okay. Uh, a Bugatti. No, I'm just kidding. I bought, <laughs> like, <what? laughs> no, no, I bought a Ford Edge um, because my girlfriend and I... Mm-hmm. We had here's a weird story. I don't know if I ever told anybody this. Um, uh, you know, outside of like my you know, people who know me. But I had a job for a while with this motorcycle company called right. Can Am. And well, you, you hosted a
0: show for them online.
1: I right? did, I did Their well TV it was show. kind of like I would make make these short videos and yeah. write articles and shoot pictures up. But you're a very and good host. I watched a few of them. Oh uh, thank you very yeah. much. Well you know, I got it because of another contest. I entered a contest, I won the motorcycle, which is this great three wheel motorcycle, two in the front, one in the back. Mm-hmm. And um and then I want to stipend for six months to travel and, and write articles and, and shoot videos and all this kind of stuff. And so I did that, but at the, end, at the end of the six months, they signed us up for another year. So when I moved out here, that was, like, that was my day job. A lot of it was. I would I would ride cross country and back, and then I would then I would spend time writing scripts. And um, but at Christmas in 2012, I guess they ended the program. They said, "Look, we're gonna you know we're gonna move, we're gonna do some different stuff with the marketing." And so, and, and they had given me this motorcycle, this amazing thing. And I told my girlfriend, I said, "Look, I'm I, either I'm gonna have to get like a regular job here in Orange County, right. uh, okay. and and or I can sell the motorcycle. I can live off that money for a few months." I can invest it in some things that'll help me, you know, with uh, the career. But it means we'll have to we'll have to use your 15-year-old Mercury Sable. We'll have to share it while you're in school. And to my girlfriend's credit, she was like, "Look, that's you know, if that's what you want to do. Let's do it." Awesome. So I sold the motorcycle, which was heartbreaking because it was it was it's like quitting therapy. Sure. Um, and so <laughs> so uh, you you run I run the risk of being a little more homicidal and suicidal after getting rid of it, but. Um, so we, we went down to this one car, 15-year-old Mercury Sable, had a busted headlight, no air conditioning, all this kind of stuff, and and I used that money to enter, like, to put the script up on the blacklist, to enter the Tracking B Contest, and I invested it in myself. And uh, so that was my gift to myself when I got the first big check, I bought, uh, a, I I, mean, I put a down payment on bought a Ford Edge, and because uh, and, I was still driving back and forth from Orange County oh, up wow. to here for the writer's room for the first couple of months. And, uh, so yeah, so that was nice. It was the first time like in I mean the first time in my entire adult life that I owned a new car. Right, right. The only new vehicle I'd owned before that was the motorcycle that had also been given to me. Right. <laughs> but I just had to sell. So yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was it. And then I did a lot of stuff for my family and just being able to like just kind of celebrate and take some people out to dinner who who would support me. That's the one thing and i probably, you know, a lot of your listeners probably have the same this same kind of thing, and maybe you have this too, where it's like I, throughout my life, I had so many people who would take me out to dinner, or who would, you know, and say like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, pay me back when you right. make it big, or whatever." Right, so, right, right. so it's been a two years of like, you know, paybacks for right. that stuff, right?
0: Nice. Yeah. Any plans to buy another can
1: am? <laughs> oh, I already did. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was my second season oh. gift to myself. There you so go. I did. Right. I had a friend uh, named Monster who uh, customizes them and, and designs them, and he emailed me one day, and he was like. I'm customizing these this new model. I think you owe it to yourself you know to, to get another one again. And it was at the right time. I said, you know what, you're absolutely right. And, uh, and he deli- he delivered it to me here and uh, brought his as well. So he and his wife and uh, me and my girlfriend, we went out riding out to Malibu. We went out to the rock store, to the ocean and, and uh, so it was like it was, a, it was a great reunion. It was after we wrapped the second season, I said, it was great. But yeah, I've got it now, and it's my—I'm like back in therapy.
0: <laughs> that's
1: great. <laughs> yeah, win therapy. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Then so kind of came full circle.
0: Wow. So that was a, that was a good gamble. You double down on yourself, and I
1: you know. tell you, man, that's like—I hear that from so many people too. It's you know like you, you uh, always bet on yourself. If. You know that you are willing to stick it out and do it and put in the work, and right. you always been on yourself. Yeah, and I and and I believe that now more than ever because of that exactly that situation. Sure.
0: sure. So you've got um, uh, a winter. What is it called? Winters. Uh, winter King yeah so and what else do you have any other TV projects or is it all feature stuff right I'm now? just
1: kind of sort of looking at new, new TV stuff and okay. I I'd had some ideas and I started writing up some some concept documents for them to start to start sharing and then uh, I'm finishing up one of those feature specs that is um, it's it's more of like a sci-fi action in the vein of uh, uh, you know something like The matrix or something like that right. um, so yeah so I finished up uh, I'm finishing up that as we as we speak I'm i, I got a new draft done and now we're just polishing it up so hopefully that'll start making the rounds soon and and, um, and yeah and then a couple other things like I said it's really, now it's just sort of like getting everything up to speed and and, and what I'm realizing now I, I didn't have to do this because we you know, we sold the show and I got so busy with that that was like all consuming Right. and now I'm understanding it's like you've got to put a lot of things in motion because this thing may take a year or two years and this thing may go immediately and right. So, uh, so yeah, I'm really now just kind of starting to figure that out. Now, I know that the, the town loves
0: to sort of compartmentalize and assign you a like you're a science fiction guy. You get X, you must be a science fiction guy. Has that happened to you? And, and if so,
1: how do you sort of branch out? Yeah, I mean, I think that yeah, I think to a certain extent, that's like it's, it's that's what everybody's looking for right. from me next. Uh, I mean the good news for me is like I love it so sure. much and that's kind of what I I feel like I do the best and uh it's certainly right now it's where I'm right so I but you know like the first movies I made I, I made a drama that was about two brothers who are a boxing contest I made a movie a comedy about guys in a softball team um i had written some other specs this when you know the winter king is like this family of thing. I'd written a comedy spec uh, for this um, contest that was started by the writer's store. That was based on a log line by Susanna Grant. There was an industry insider contest. That was a comedy. There was like a backstage comedy. And um, I, one of the other scripts I had on the blacklist was a crime fiction script. It was kind of like a crime anthology. So I was sort of interested in all these other things. And I had a meeting with a manager based on a script from the Blacklist, and he, he asked me, "So what else do you have?" And I told him, "Well, I've got this comedy that I just—I'm I'm a finalist in this contest with. Uh, I have another script from the Blacklist that's making the rounds. I have this sci-fi pilot, and uh, and I could tell that he was like, mm, the t- you know, like, you don't really know yourself as a writer. And he was like, "Well, let me read the other stuff, and we'll kind of see where you fit." But the meeting took a turn in that in that moment that was like. They want somebody who knows who they are, what they do well, because that's like one of sell. And so I kind of made the decision right then. I was like, whatever gets through the gate, that's what I'm gonna be as long as I have to be it. Uh, But I think the cool thing is that uh, going back to Alexander Hamilton, the musical, <laughs> right. uh, which is the, uh, the power of the pen, which is that if you want to break out of that box, you just have to do it. Like You may have to spec it, you may have to do it on the weekends tonight, but if, you write an ama- if you're a sci-fi writer and you write an amazing drama or you write a mind-blowing period you know, a western or something like that too, I have to believe that people, they, at the end of the day, they want great scripts. And, and you can you can punch your way out of that box. Sure. So, maybe I'm delusional, but I have to believe that's the case. No, absolutely. And I haven't seen... I guess I'm trying to think of anybody that I've seen do that 100% recently. And I haven't... I mean, somebody like... There are filmmakers like Danny Boyle, who's one of my favorite filmmakers. really yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You know, he can do anything he wants. He, he's kind of bounced from genre to genre. And it's always like... we always know it's his movie. Right. And I, and writers like at my... You know, like I'm sort of just getting in and having one sale. I don't know if... You know, I don't have that freedom yet, but... Uh, but 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 yeah, there are other stuff, there are other things I want to do, and so if, it, if I have to, I'll ride it on the weekends until it's really really great, and then I'll try to like punch out of that box. You know? What's your favorite Danny Boyle? Play? Oh man, got well being a sci-fi guy, I love Sunshine so oh, yeah. much. Um, yeah, I think that's probably that's probably way up there for me. And I saw Jobs and the Jobs is really interesting. Uh, he was, you know, kind of kind of fascinating to make that like three three sort of backstage events right. that visually appealing sure.
0: uh, yeah, but it also feels like half Danny Boyle half Aaron Sorkin because Aaron totally. Sorkin's voice is so strong yeah. in everything he does it's so Sorkin right exactly
1: <laughs> which I love because yeah, again he's, like, he's brilliant and he's a guy that you know for me as a writer again I would read every script I, I, like his the, the pilot script for Studio 60 mm-hmm. is one of those scripts that I'll pull out two or three times yeah. a year and read it because it's so fucking good yeah. and so masterful in the way that he sets everything up and it's like you know like it's 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 intimidating and, and also like kind of exhilarating and inspiring at the same time and you go god this guy like so uh, he's he's one of those guys every time yeah. and, and also because I love those people that have such a distinct voice. authorial voice right. in their dialogue too like Amy Sherman Palladino is another one yeah, of those yeah, yeah, yeah. you know I watch all of Bunheads a kind of got like girlfriend was into Gilmore Girls so I kind of got in that late but once I started watching a few episodes with her I was obsessed with her dialogue and, and yeah. how she writes and then I watched uh you know all of season one of Bunheads and, and uh for a middle-aged man it's kind of like <laughs> weird but like right in the sense I was like crushed when he didn't get picked up for a season two because that voice was so distinct and so unique and right. so yeah, yeah.
0: No, absolutely um, I think my f- favorite is probably Shallow Grey. Yeah, for real. Oh, yeah, that's
1: because a great one. So, I totally so forgot s- about that it's
0: one. It's so simple, but it's, it's perfect on every level of what yeah. it is as a throw Like a
1: classic, like Hitchcockian exactly. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. I totally forgot about that one. Too. And, and you, I, mean, I've, I mean, there's so many. He's got so many great ones at this point. Yeah, that it's and, like, there, and even like, uh, what was the name of that one
0: with, uh, they all have you in McGregor, but what was the one with, uh, um... These two angels, uh, Delroy Lindo and I Holly Hunter, uh, where they play. Uh, it's, it's I a, don't know that. Was that his? Strange, yeah, it's such a strange kind of film that like didn't do really well because it's really sort of out there. But I thought it was fantastic. I don't. I don't know if I know that one. Yeah, well, I'll look it up, and
1: you know. I'll, yeah, I'll, you may have seen it already, but I mean, I'll, I'll look it up for you. Nah, he's a fascinating dude. Like I said, he's so lucky too because he gets to do, I mean, he can he can bounce around and do oh, yeah. and do sort of anything he wants it seems, which is cool. Oh, yeah, slumdog cool. in Yeah, slumdog is great. Uh, 28 Days Later, 28 days of course, is like, know, all time. That to me is an all time classic absolutely. right there. Absolutely. Know. But like, everything he does is um, it's a different genre but
0: it's all amazing. Yeah. It's not like he's really good at one genre and then try something out. That was pretty good. Right. It's just like, everything he does is like a clinic and this is how it you know, absolutely Really you do have Bollywood musicals. How you do it? Yeah. It's just like, wow, how do you do that?
1: Yeah, again, it's like one of those guys who just speaks a different a different language. Absolutely. Oh yeah, he did the one uh, twenty seven hours too, right? The one with uh, oh, the James up Franco up, about the Aaron Rolfson the yeah, guy yeah, who you know yeah, had yeah, cut yeah. off his own arm. Exactly. And again, like he's a filmmaker who could take that story about a guy trapped in a canyon with his arm and, and make it visually like, you know, fascinating. Absolutely, keep you interested in it. Yeah. I you know? was just what a great story too. I like that I was always more so more really fascinated with that idea because I don't think I can do it. I think I, I would die there. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> to me also taking the simplest story and making
0: it interesting is a super hard thing to do. Um, like if when I get asked, well, what is your favorite episode of television? Yeah, and mine is uh, an episode of Homicide. Oh, oh man, I gotta see. If we have the same one. Go for it. It's the one with Vincent D'Onofrio where he's trapped in the subway. Oh, yeah, that's the a great. Gets hit and he gets like stuck in the subway. Yeah, he gets, you know, around, gets and twisted around and they know when around. they move him. Yeah. Yeah, and to me that episode encompasses because it's so different from what you see. I mean, granted, it's a bottle episode, obviously, because you know they're still in the subway platform for the most of the episode. But to keep people entertained, the entire episode at the beginning, middle, and end of a guy getting hit yeah. by a subway, trapped underneath it, getting kind of twisted around. And the, the whole, you know, there's this whole dynamic of he's there, wants to get out, is very angry, he's fully coherent. And the police detectives and the paramedics knowing that once The you moment get, they move that train, yeah, he's dead. Yeah, he's dead, because all the blood will rush out. Yeah. And trying to find his wife, who's out jogging somewhere in the middle of New York, or Baltimore, wherever it was, so that she could say goodbye to him
1: before they removed the train before he died. It's really cool. You know, I think that episode was well, one, I think it was based on a true story because I remember oh, okay. reading uh, this book, that were like all true cop stories, right? And I think I'm not sure if it was if, if the one I remember reading was happened in Chicago, okay. but it was the same sort of thing. The cops, you know, the guy got twisted around. They knew like the moment they moved the train, all of his organs, everything, and so, like he's gonna die, right. And so, um, but I think that episode may have been written by a guy, Eric Overmeyer, who's a playwright. Who is, is one of those kind of guys who was like a really great kind of gritty playwright too. So, so it was written by a guy who was who was used to sort of being rooted in theater, kind of in one spot, you know, and like really heightening the drama. That that was a fantastic episode of that show.
0: What is your favorite?
1: Mine is the one where Corsetti died. Okay, um, and 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 there was a moment I'll never forget. This watching because it, it was like I remember like being on the cat. I'm first of all I'm I'm a I'm a crier. <laughs> I'm gonna fully admit to this, uh, and I was telling somebody to talk about some of like this today. Like videos, you know, where like the soldiers come back home and surprise their loved ones, right. like instant cry kryptonite for me. I like I cry every time. But there was an episode where uh, Crozetti died, and and he'd committed suicide, mm. and and so none of the cops were allowed to wear their dress uniforms to the funeral because you know it was against the you know against the code or whatever because he committed suicide right, 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 right. and uh, and Andre Brower's character, you know Pendleton, who was kind of like a dick and kind of butted heads with with Corsetti the whole time, didn't go to the funeral and everybody was like why aren't you going to the funeral and, and what a dick you know you're not showing up and this and he didn't go. And there's the funeral procession. They were taking it right past the police headquarters, and they were all walking with the casket and all these guys in their suits and stuff. And when they turned the corner, Pimbleton was standing on the steps of the of the police department with his dress uniform on, saluting. And I remember just like crying, like you know, like just like a big baby at that, and thinking like, man, if I write one moment that is that powerful, that is that perfect. Done. Like I, yeah, I'll check out of the universe. I'm good. You right, know, right, right. I'm going home. See, I'm like tearing up right now. Everybody... <laughs> but that that was my favorite. And I mean, that that show was so brilliant on oh, so yeah, many levels. Absolutely. It's one of my all time favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Did you watch the whole thing? Or are you into it all the way?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you. I think it's one of those things where, like, The Wire. Once you get yeah. into or, or Breaking
1: Bad. Once you get into it, you can't really stop. No, no. You're just gonna go for the whole ride. No, it's yeah, yeah. it's it's entertainment heroin. It's yeah. Just like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> call call everything else off. I'm I'm here.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, talking about like specific voices, like uh, you know, Amy Sherman-Palladino or or Aaron Sorkin. I don't know if dialogue. You know, from like David Simon or Vince Gilligan, is as identifiable, but the themes, yeah. the tones, and the feel of the emotional you know moments that they have, they, they definitely stand out. You know, in terms of like, again.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think it's like you either have that or you don't. You're like David Mamet, you know, yeah, maybe Sherman Palladino Tarantino's got it. But Tar- yeah. I, like, I know I don't have it. I'm mine is always in service of uh, uh, it's it's. I try to be as spare and as simple as possible. Right, I mean... But it's not distinctive in that way, you know, and so, I, I, and so I'm always kind of admire the people that that is just like... I think we always admire what we're not. Yeah, like, absolutely, know. absolutely. Because at the same
0: time, you know, we're talking about dialogue, but I, I don't think that... I mean, Vince Gilligan has some great lines. I mean, there's some great lines throughout, but I still don't... I, I, I'm a fan of Vince Gilligan more for, again, talking about story and his storytelling yeah. just the way the stories kind of unfold uh, and how he looks at the world from you know
1: all those brilliant little character moments character means. you know um, so yeah. I was talking about the, like the moment of where Walter White is making his sandwich and cutting off the crust yeah. of the sandwiches and that's such a little thing but it tells you so oh, much about who that guy is yeah. and, his, yeah, it's, and how precise and pre- there's a little moment where he's in the hospital waiting room and the table is kind of is off, oh, right. kind of balance, and he the thing yeah, like, like, under like I mean, them. yeah, and like that to me is I, I see that stuff and go, God, how do you even think about those? How guys. do you even think about that stuff? Yeah, brilliant. It's fantastic. Um, and he seems like a really nice guy too. That's other thing are watching him. He seems like a genuinely like great human being.
0: Anyone that I've ever met that has met him or knows him says the same thing. <laughs> and if you look. Uh, on his show, excuse me, any of his shows, um, a lot of the younger staff writers all started as writers' assistants. He promotes from within.
1: Yeah, and not all showrunners do that. But you know, in fact, I think it. I'm, you know, I'm just Talking about it and I ask about so much of this stuff. <laughs> it's probably all like you know people are going to be fact checking me left and right. But I think the guy who wrote the episode of Better Call Saul that was based on Mike. It was like oh, right. Mike's story. Did you watch Better Call Saul? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. So the one, you know, it was like Mike's story. Mm-hmm. I think that was a guy who had moved up from an assistant position. It was probably my favorite hour of television this year. Yeah, and so, so. Yeah, you're talking to about right. the episode where it's like his, the story about his son. Yeah, his backstory. Right. Exactly. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I mean, that episode was. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that to me was like, that's great literature, you know, too.
0: And it's so hard, I think, because there's so many great characters in Breaking Bad and in Better Call Saul. It's like typically Saul Show, but you know, Mike, is such a great yeah. character,
1: you know. Well, yeah, and he got his. But that was what was cool about it. He got his own his own hour. Yeah, and it so sort of deepened our whole understanding of who he is and what he does. And- Right. and uh I think that you know, the leftovers does that really well right now too where they where there' are so many great characters such a tight ensemble but they'll take this detour you know these detours and they're doing even more in the second season where they'll focus on one character and really look at the whole prism you know thing through their prism and I i right. it's a, a really awesome way to, to do it what show are you talking about leftovers I haven't seen that oh you got to watch it you watch it. <laughs> it's that. so great
0: it goes on my list
1: yeah yeah it's I'm
0: sure we both have lists that are just... Out of control because there's so much good TV out
1: there. I always say, kind of half joking, knock on wood. <laughs> but like, I, you know, if I could just like break a leg or something and be laid <laughs> up, and you know, up. for like three or four weeks, where I could just catch up on, you know, the Orange is the New Black, which I haven't seen a single episode of, or, you know, yeah. some of these great shows, I mean, yeah. Right. I could use it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just getting
0: caught up on uh, Walking Dead.
1: Oh, huh. you know. I'm like three seasons behind on that. I think I saw the first. Two full seasons. I think that's where I stopped.
0: Okay, well, so good.
1: So yeah, fantastic. I mean,
0: it's it, it's weird because it switches tonally yeah. all over the place because they change showrunners all the time. But it's all consistently. Have you watched the different. new one, *Fear the Walking Dead*? I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting to finish up this season of the *Walking Dead*. I think I'm. I don't know, I think episode six just aired or something like that. Um, I'm, although, I, I'm an episode or two behind, and then once I finish that, I'll go back and...
1: Yeah, um, loop back
0: and finish, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I heard it was made, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it yet. What show, other than Leftover, what show that you watch and love,
1: what should I be watching? Oh man. You know, it's funny because I watch a lot of comedy. I do too, right? Too. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm wa- I mean, I watch The Last Man on Earth, which I think is pretty okay. brilliant. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. That's another one that is so kind of strange, out of left field, out of the box. Uh, I'm really loving the Muppets. New show. I haven't seen it. Is it good? It's so great. You know, like the first episode, it's kind of like it's a little jarring because it maybe isn't necessarily the Muppets that you exactly remember. It's a right. little, but um, the episode by episode, it gets better and better. And uh, the one that was last night was like one of the best ones so far. Um, and I'm trying to think of what else I've seen. I mean, have you seen the Grinder? No, I haven't seen
0: that at all. That is probably the best comedy I think this season. I heard that's great. It's fantastic.
1: I, so I I jumped into everything like at least the first couple episodes of um, Supergirl, which I thought was great. Yep. Um, Arrow, Flash, I love Flash. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, leftovers is like every week. I, uh, Game of Thrones is my all time. I mean, that's the one right now. Game it, of when it's on, I so brilliant. Yeah, that's so brilliant. yeah. I uh, I'm I'm t- totally addicted to that for great. any time it's on. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I watch. I like I said I watch a lot of comedy. I watch a lot of stand-up specials. And I just saw. when can I just started watching?
0: We're about four or five episodes into it. I guess it's only ten episodes though. Of Master of None, the new season
1: are. I watched yeah. the very first episode today. Yeah, it was it's great. His, yeah, it's hysterical. It's so kind of out of left field. And you know what I love about him is he's. It's like the character. It's a kind of bucking against the trend. He's not. He's sweet. You know what he I mean? Edits,
0: like but he also does things that, and says things that are just like, really? Right. You know, it's, it's sort of like uh, a less oblivious version of Michael Scott
1: from The Office. Right. You know. exactly. exactly. But you know, like in the opening episode, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen yeah. it, but like in the opening scenes, there's, the, you know, there's this moment where this girl has to go do something that's like really difficult. And like the kind of dick move there, were to be like, okay, I want to call you a cab and go. But you know, like he goes, and there's, and so that was the moment I was like, I, of like it's not, it's not like the typical, kind of completely unaware, right? You know, kind of person, which is, which is also funny, and that's like, but he's, he's a little, he's a little different. Yeah. Did you watch? Um, I see one of the shows I loved this year was Another Period. Did you see that on Comedy Central?
0: No.
1: Uh, it, Natasha Leggero and uh, uh, Ricky Lindholm created it. It was basically like. Keeping up with the Kardashians, but it's set in like 1920s-ish Newport, kind of, uh, yeah. It was like a talking heads, uh, okay. you know, almost like a mockery kind of thing. Yeah, it was fantastic. Documentary style. It's got all these great comic actors, like Thomas Lennon was in it. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, Jason Ritter was in it, and it is, yeah, and that was one of my favorites here. It was dark and strange, but hilarious. Yeah,
0: anything that Thomas Lennon and, you know, Ben Grant, you know, oh. those guys- Everyone knows them as the Reno nine one one guys, but we're right. the guys
1: from the state. Have you read their book, the writing movies for fun I and profit? Ah, oh, it's fantastic. Is it? Yeah. But you scratch out for fun, and it's just like writing movies for profit. Right, right. But um, but there's it's so there's so much great stuff in there for people who are like. Because, I mean, I I still like I'll flip through it even every now and then kind of like. No, is it just a comedy joke or is it like is there actually? no yeah, it's actually great information okay. for writers in there for you know for screenwriters and it kind of especially like for people who we are just absolute beginners they kinda of, you know kind of walk you through the basics of it and just enough to make you dangerous, you know <laughs> yeah. so that's 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 where yeah. you gotta be right? Exactly.
0: So that's awesome. Um, it's probably almost time to play some games, right? Yeah. I'm
1: so gonna probably wrap it up. I gotta say burger time is calling my name. That's a great one. That is a great one. And that's something that I
0: don't you need more timing and less sort of coordination so it's right up my ass. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. So, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much, Mickey. Ah, thank awesome, you. as always. Pleasure. Um, And
1: uh, be sure to, to uh, what's, what's your Twitter handle? I don't have it in oh, front of me. Oh, uh, Fisher 73 73. And, uh, yeah, and I think Mickey Fisher on Facebook or, yeah, or find me wherever.
0: Yeah, we, we have your links on our site anyway, so they can always be cool. on the website. Oh, yeah, Thanks links
1: for to having me, man. I really appreciate it. No, always, always. So, thank you all for listening. Rap is law and I'm passing the ball All verses considered
0: like I'm in Everyone I roll with Gunning for the top spot The opposite of hopeless My flow is the dopest Of anyone in showbiz No more riddling I'm still so focused So how'd I blow up so quick